Welcome to another episode of Rad Talk with Tracy. I'm your host, Tracy Poffenroth Prado. This podcast is all about reactive attachment disorder, or RAD. I'm going to be talking with parents who will be sharing their experiences of what it's like raising a child with RAD. It gets raw and it gets real. I'm also going to be talking with experts from different areas who will be sharing information about RAD, resources, and support. I'm glad you're here. Let's get started. Welcome back, everyone. This is part two of my talk with Amy Van Tyne, Rad Mom Advocate and Entrepreneur. In the last episode, Amy shared her experience with adoption and what it was like raising a daughter with reactive attachment disorder and what she and her family went through. And as can happen, out of crisis came a breakthrough. Amy's experience with Rad led her to create and found a leading nonprofit organization called Rad Advocates. Their mission is to guide families through the challenges of RAD, and that's exactly what they're doing. Amy, welcome back. Hello. Uh, I know there are a lot of listeners out there that are eager to learn more about your organization and services, so thanks for being here to share that today. Oh, thank you for having me. I feel very blessed to be here. So, RAD Advocates, last episode we talked about your experience what was the catalyst? What happened from being a rad mom and then creating an entire nonprofit organization <laughs> revolving <laughs> around rad and helping families? Well, the short answer, I think, is just God. Honestly, um, it was kind of a God moment for me. It was just that knowing was put on my shoulders of this is what you're going to do next and this is how it's going to go. And so I followed that voice, that feeling of, okay, I'm, I'm going to do something with this. So really I contribute a lot of it to God because when I, when I look back at when I had this vision, I think, what was I thinking? Like, <laughs> oh my gosh, like I was still kind of coming out of the trenches myself and you know, I, I wasn't really, like when I look back logically, I think, what was I thinking? Um, but spiritually, I was led there. And I just walked that path, which is something that I didn't do a whole lot of in my earlier life. Um, I would kind of resist that feeling. And I would always ask um, more logical questions instead of going with that feeling. But after experiencing RAD, and living with it and feeling like, you know, I was going to lose my life or my children were going to lose their lives or, you know, just the crisis and the um, detriment that RAD brings to a family oftentimes. After experiencing that, I kind of had this new beginning of like, what do I have to lose? So I, I just said, okay, I'm going to go with this feeling that's been put on me. And that feeling really was one of like an ethical responsibility to other families and to children. My whole life, I've loved children. I've always wanted to work with children. I always have worked with children in one way or another. And so, again, it was also fulfilling that commitment to children, um, recognizing that, that our children with RAD are not getting the help they need and that they deserve. Right. And you were talking about that 
last time that this is something deep in your core and you didn't want families to have to go through what you went through. Not at all. Not at all. You know, it's finding that purpose in the pain right? Right. Uh, of what my family went through and how do we learn from it and grow from it. And instead of being victims of it, how, how do we now help others? Right. from our experience. Yeah. And so when did it start? What point was your daughter still with you? Did it just start? Did you start doing little things? So my daughter was placed in a residential treatment center and I was scrolling the Facebook support groups, you know, like many parents do looking for help, looking for answers, looking for that magical cure that's going to get us all out of survival mode and take us to a level of peace. And I was scrolling and I remember reading one specific post and it's crazy because now I wish I would have like screenshotted it or something to where I would have remembered who posted it because it was really that post in that moment where I got that feeling. And the post was around the child, um, the disordered child was sexually abusing one of the other children in the home. And the, the mom was asking the support group, like, oh, my gosh, what do I do? I'm scared social services is going to take my other child. And, you know, all the fear that comes with some of the scenarios that families are put in with children with this disorder. Exactly. And that post just hit me to the core of, like, that is so wrong. Like, social services should never come in and remove a child that has already been traumatized from their attached caregiver and place the victim into another home. And with my previous experience of working um, in private placement agencies and in group homes and things like that, I had a little bit more knowledge of going, now that's not quite right. And I think that's, you know, I think that's something that they say a lot to scare parents so our so social services maybe doesn't have to get involved but i kind of just had this vision in my head of how all these playing pieces were going to play together for this family of like well no if you do this and if you have a victim's advocate and if you can find this person and you can get a meeting with social services and you have all of your references and you have all your documentation they can't do this and if it goes in front of a judge a judge would never accept that and but most people don't know all of that do they they don't have that information or know that you're just in that immediate fear of somebody's going to take these survival Mm -hmm. yeah and and that was also my fear at one point of our journey was that i was maybe going to lose my non-rad children. But in our journey, we got to the point where for everybody's survival, I had to make some hard decisions. And that was recognizing that if social services is going to come in and take all of my kids, at least everybody will be safe. And that was a hard pill to swallow as a mom. But knowing that if, if they removed all of my kids, at least everybody was safe because we were really at the point of crisis within our family that I believed if we went one more day that somebody would have been severely injured, whether it was our child with a disorder severely self-harming or harming my other children or harming me or my other children getting to their breaking point of being poked, 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 that they would harm her. I just didn't know, but I had that gut feeling 
And uh, I had to follow that. And so when I was reading that post on the social media support groups, I thought, I know that feeling. I know what this mom is going through and this isn't okay. And somebody has to help be her voice. And in that moment, it was like, we've got to do something. It was like driving by a car accident and seeing people in, you know, severe injuries and you, you can see that the gas is leaking from the car, the car is getting ready to explode. If you just keep driving, how do people live with themselves? And that's how I felt. How would I live with myself if I just look at this as I got my family out of this situation, not doing it anymore. So that was your aha moment. That was your aha moment. Yeah. And uh, you couldn't, couldn't not do anything. So what is Rad Advocates? That's a big loaded question, but you know, I'll ask more detailed questions, but in a nutshell, what is Rad Advocates? So we are an advocacy group that advocates for families who are raising children with reactive attachment disorder. Our primary focus is to support families wherever they are at in this journey. So there, you know, there's, there's so, such a wide spectrum of kiddos on this disorder. So if there's a family that has a child that's on the mild end and they're just looking for um, maybe some parenting advice, some parental support outside of the home, a therapist, you know, what does this look like? We can come in and support them all the way to the other end of the spectrum where you have the more severe kids that are on that like residential treatment center, hospital, home cycle where it just keeps going in a circle where they have multiple M1 holds, multiple RTC stays, uh, where the child just isn't making any improvements towards being able to live in a family home. So we kind of work with everywhere in between. You work with everyone at every level. And that's a good point because RAD is a spectrum, you know, and looks different for yes. every family. It's the same, but it's different. So if you were to yeah. give a bullet list just to start us off, what services do you offer? So advocacy, and that's, you know, whether it's in meetings with um, child welfare services, residential treatment center staffings, juvenile detention system, the school system, wherever a family may need an advocate, uh, we're, we're there. And we always say that the parents are the expert in their child, and we're just coming along and being that third-party voice because it really does make a difference in those meetings. As you know, this disorder presents very much like it's a, a parenting issue to the outside world. And so if a family is on a meeting, uh, in a meeting with social services, or let's say a residential treatment center, and they're trying to develop a treatment plan for the child, Rad Advocates is there being a third party. And when we can say exactly what the parent is saying, it's heard differently for a couple of reasons. One, because we're not in trauma with the child right in that moment. So that piece does come out with the parents. I mean, that's just part of life. It's a very traumatizing experience. It's a very scary experience to go through with a child that is self-harming or is homicidal. That's a, that's a scary experience. So that trauma is coming out. And oftentimes parents will get upset if they're 
not being heard by the other professionals. And so it can come across that they start to look crazy where an advocate can say the exact same things that mom is saying or dad is saying, but we're heard a little bit differently because it's a third party. But not only that, it's documented differently. When it's being documented from mom and dad, it's looked at as just mom and dad's opinion or what they want. When a third party professional is advocating and voicing what needs to happen, it's looked at very differently and it's recorded differently. So that can also help families further on with their documentation and their journey of seeking the appropriate services for their family. So if a parent is just feeling lost and they don't know who to go to, what to do, what they need, they can contact RAD Advocates? It's a custom package for each family. Like I said, we try to meet the families where they are. And so it's a custom package. We come in and we're going to work with each family differently. So, I mean, I can give you an example but it may not be that way for the next family or, you know, it's, it's very different. So for an example, we had a family where their child was on that residential hospital cycle and they called and was fearful because the child kept upping the ante, you know, something that happens when the child is put back in the home without appropriate treatment for the disorder, the disorder is going to act out even more and up the ante to get away from their nurturing family. And so this child was on that cycle. And when he would come home, he would start fires and had already started two fires within the house, had burnt down one room, burnt down another room. And it was getting very scary. And he would go back to the hospital, but he wouldn't meet medical necessity. And this cycle just kept happening. And so I was able to come in and talk with the family. And obviously the family's fears at that point was, we can't have him come the next time he's gonna burn down the house. And fire marshals had even said that multiple times to the family. Like, you're lucky that this is all it was this time, next time he could burn down the house. So I offered education, first of all, on the disorder of where the child was coming from. What was the child's viewpoint of where they were so much in fight or flight survival mode that they felt that they had to burn down the house. And that's the first concern we want to address because obviously that child's crying out for help. And as parents and caregivers, we have to acknowledge where the child's at. We developed safety plans. So we went into developing a safety plan for that family and for each member of the family and what that looked like and how could we tap into safe moments if the child were to come home and start to be unsafe. So because it's unrealistic to expect that a disordered child's going to utilize a safety plan, they, they don't. They're, they're disordered. They can't tap into that in the time of crisis. And you raise a good point because people might not know this if their child hasn't been in the uh, residential treatment center system, the RTCs. But I remember learning this from you, actually, that usually a safety plan is created for the child when they get home, but the parents are left on their own. And like you say, a lot of times these kids come home with, you know, still the same issues and it's frightening, it's scary. And I think what I love about Rad Advocates is that you explained that it's just as important, if not more important, for the parents and the family to have a safety plan. 
Absolutely, absolutely. So I developed a safety plan with this family and then immediately got on the calls involving the residential treatment center and Medicaid to discuss next steps with this family. So I was a part of that team. While I was on that team, I was able to educate, first of all, Medicaid of why their, their treatment for children wasn't working and why they see so many cases of kids coming in and out, in and out, and it's the same kids over and over. And then I educated the residential treatment center of why their treatment modality wasn't working for the child. But through that, we really got a good rapport going with everybody on the team and a good understanding of what this disorder looks like. So again, they were hearing it from me, a third-party professional versus mom who was terrified that he was going to be released and burn down their house. And then on the side, I'm able to also talk with mom and let her know that I hear her voice and that we have a plan of action. We're going into these meetings with a plan and we're guiding we're guiding the team pretty much of what that plan needs to look like for the family as well as for the child specifically. And the team at the RTC got on board and was really supportive and we really did a lot of work with the family to decide what was in that family's best interest. And with talking with this kiddo, he was very clear, like I, I can't live at home. And he was tapping into that with the therapist at the residential treatment center, the RTC that uh, he didn't he didn't want to go home he didn't feel safe and so we we ran with that of okay where would you want to be and how can we keep you safe and he said that he would like to live out of the home so we were able to locate a therapeutic boarding school for this family and help the mom fill out the application and so again every step of the way walking them through that journey this is what that would look like Here's your different options. Here's resources that can help you find one. Uh, working with the insurance company with Medicaid to see what resources we could find to help this family uh, maybe cover some of that cost. And then from there, we worked on a transition plan and I explained how RAD works and what the whole team needed to expect as far as transitioning this young man into a therapeutic boarding school and everybody was on board. And he was able to discharge from the RTC and go right to therapeutic boarding school. And that was over a year ago. And he is doing fine. He's had no more hospital stays, no more residential stays. The family reports how well he's doing, that they have phone conversations, that healing and attachment are beginning over, beginning to happen over the phone. But that immediate crisis of him being at risk and the rest of the family being at risk, we were really able to come in and put that, put that to rest. Thanks for sharing that. That was extremely helpful. And I can't help, but I'm sure other listeners are probably feeling this, but I feel such a sense of relief. I've been through this too, but even just listening to someone else's story, it's such a relief to, and I'm sure it was for that family and other families, just such a relief to get in contact with you and have somebody, you're not alone. And I think, and I might be wrong, but I know in my personal experience, especially working with and living with a child with RAD from adoption. I think as parents, we have a lot of 
expectations for ourselves that maybe aren't realistic, but you know, there's a lot of those, I don't, wouldn't call them stereotypes, but those feelings, you know, a lot of times when you adopt people consider you a hero or it's such an admirable thing. And then when you do adopt, you feel this extra sense of this child is already traumatized. I have to do everything in my power and just keep taking it. I chose this. I adopted. I have to take this. I, if I chose this, this is what I have to do. And, you know, you forget that actually a lot of these children come to us from a broken system and they're broken and we don't have the resources as a, as a parent to deal with this, especially if a large system hasn't been able to deal with it. And what I love is you are filling that gap. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I really don't feel that any family should ever go through this alone, ever. You know, we offer supports to families when they have a new baby and they bring a baby home or, you know, there's the, we offer supports to um, elderly when they live at home and we bring them meals and we offer supports to people when family dies and they're grieving, we bring meals and we support them. But really for children, for parents of children with RAD, there's not a lot of supports. Our, our own families don't know how to offer help or support, let alone the neighbors in the community. And so it is so important that, that families are supported. And, and that's really what we try to do with RAD advocates is support them 100%. We don't ever judge. We don't ever question. We try to really meet families where they are. We don't want our, our opinion of where their family is at to influence their decision, but we want to give them the knowledge that we know so they can make a better educated decision on what way their family needs to go for their for their end goal of what they're looking for, uh, uh, for their family to survive and thrive. And no situation is too small or too big. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Because I think what happens too is sometimes as rad parents, you know, you've already dealt with difficulty getting support or the judgment that comes onto some families. Again, when you just to explain to listeners who might not know, when we say it gets looked at as a parenting issue, it means that a lot of people think there must be something that the parent isn't doing right or not parenting correctly. And so there's a lot of judgment around that. When it's the opposite, I think every rad parent has tried every parenting philosophy yeah. and modality and any wives' yeah. tale, anything. So that's important to point out. But um, so anybody can come to you, no matter how small, how big. And you, I love what you say. It's really individualized. So you take where they're at and you just roll with it from there. And that sense of relief yeah. too. How does that feel when you, I'm sure you get people calling you at all levels of distress. It's very emotionally driven. And then to guide them through that process and yeah. this family you were just talking about, you know, their child is now doing a lot better and is out of the home. I'm sure the family is doing a lot better. How does that feel to be on the other side? You get that distress call 
and then you walk them through and yeah. you have a family like this with such great results. Yeah. It's very rewarding. I mean, it's again, it's healing. It's healing for me to know that I was able to assist another family and to prevent something that could have been for the child life-changing. I mean, the, the child was really on a path of destruction. He could have ended up in a juvenile detention center, which could have led then to prison down the road. Who knows? So for me, it's very healing to know that if I can offer other solutions or creative ideas of how to support children and their families with this disorder to get everybody to an end result that is more, you know, that, that's safer for everybody. Right. It's, it's healing for me. It's very healing. And it feels good to know that, that and, and not all cases turn out that way. There are some that are just heart-wrenching and it just breaks my heart. But I hope that in those circumstances that I was still able to be a support to that family and to be able to let them know that they're not alone, even though they're going through the hard times. And, and then I have families that were still in the thick of it and it's not over and it can be a couple of years before we get to an end result. But just knowing that the, the families don't have to be alone and that they're, that they're not crazy, that you know, I've, I've been there. I know. Right. Right. And you know, that's the biggest thing I think is the minute, you know, you get in touch that, that sense of not feeling alone goes away. Mm -hmm. Do you help people just in the U S is it just in one state who, who can contact you? Who do you help? We can help anybody. I mean, we, we do the best we can with what we have for wherever the family's at. So I am located in Colorado, but we do have advocates in other states as well. We have a couple here in Colorado, some in Georgia. We have an educational committee that has families from all over the United States. We have a legislative committee that has families from all over the United States. So really, RAD Advocates is nationwide, um, but also global. We've worked with a family in France, worked with a family in Africa, Alaska, Canada. So we, we do get contacted. It's a little bit harder for the ones that are outside of the U.S. because I'm not familiar with their systems and how they work and the different entities and how to navigate that as much. But that advocate bulldog part of me is willing to take it on. I mean, the, the way I feel at it, um, for me, again, it's that ethical piece, and I'll sit on any meeting. If ethically I feel like there's wrong happening, I will speak up. So it doesn't really matter what country <laughs> it's in. Right. And so you provide the advocacy where you walk through and you're, you're meeting with the family, you're helping them find resources, you're going to those big meetings, talking with insurance companies, taking that huge load off. And when you talk about education committee and legislative committee, so you're not just advocacy, you're growing and what's happening now. Yeah. Our goal is to create awareness around the disorder because until we have awareness, change isn't going to really happen for the families. We have to create awareness. So yeah, we have an educational committee and our goal is just to really uh, grow in that committee and get more empowered to be able to go out and 
touch the different um, areas that need the education on RAD. So social workers, mental health providers, teachers, churches, adoption agency, foster parents. So we, we do offer trainings. We have done several trainings for a couple of the universities here in Colorado. And that's been really exciting, being able to get into the grad programs and offer some training there. And it's pretty, pretty interesting when you're working with a grad student and they say, wait, what? What is this? I, oh my gosh, I'm learning so much more from you with your personal experience than I did from the book. And so with our educational committee, we're just really hoping to get out there and create more of an awareness. And then we believe that once there is that awareness through education, that can also transition over into our legislative committee who is working on getting laws changed. And you know, the, the, the piece that breaks my heart every time is when families have to trade custody of their children to get care for their children. And these are amazing parents, amazing citizens, amazing human beings that should never have to trade custody of their child to receive the mental health care that they need. Can you give an example of what, what that looks like? Of custody for care? Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, so, uh, you know, a story of trading custody for care, that's really, you know, part of that is my own personal story. We were forced to trade custody of our daughter to get her care. She did not meet the medical necessity to uh, need a hospitalization or a residential treatment center. However, her behaviors here at home were so severe that we could not keep her safe. She was climbing out her windows. She was you know, on the roof of the house, threatening to jump. Just a lot of really unsafe things banging her head against the wall, threatening, you know, saying she wanted to kill herself. But when we would take her in and have her assess, she, she would say, I'm fine, I'm fine. And she wouldn't meet criteria for them to hold her. But like I shared a little bit earlier, we were at the point where I knew somebody was going to be severely hurt. My husband and I had to sleep. We couldn't stay awake 24-7. Our other children were in distress. It was just, it was not a good scenario. So essentially I had to trade custody of my daughter in order for her to get care. So I traded custody to social services and social services then had to find placement for her to keep her safe. And ultimately again, you know, loopholes in the system and how the system works, social services found her placement at a residential treatment center. And so they were able to get her in and they funded it because the insurance company wouldn't fund it. And doesn't that, I mean, that sounds crazy to me yeah. that you have a child with all these behaviors. And I think other people listening must just be thinking, what is happening? Because they don't, they have all these behaviors and yet they don't meet the criteria to be That's in the place they need the to disorder. be. Yeah. The very nature of the disorder. Yeah. You get them home. And so, I mean, if that doesn't scream, something is broken with the system too and what's happening so that you have to find a way and finding that way to get them back into care, like you're saying, isn't always pretty. No. Oh no. It's very difficult. And, and again, that's things that our legislative committee is working on as well as the insurance 
companies and in stepping up and providing care for these kids when they don't meet medical necessity that that that's the disorder they're viewing the child while they're in their their disordered state the child is going to regulate or let me rephrase that appear regulated whoever right. they're around that's a stranger because that's the disorder you know they're they're not going to act out and and show their insecurities and their um their fear when they're with strangers right that's kind of the jekyll hyde part of this yeah. is that you know children with rad can flip between these two states and and that's what's scary so they can look good and act appropriate and appear fine and fool that system right and then why why do you think parents aren't listened to so even if they're seeing that but the parent is saying look at home this is what's happening right they're not heard There's so much of a mental health well the parents you know that's when it starts to look like a parenting issue because then the parents start to look crazy because the parents are at home living with this chaos, living with the, the trauma of your child being out on the roof, threatening to jump and hurt themselves. And, and like with my child, the more I would try to get close to her to, to stop her and keep her safe, the more she would react to me. And so the more unsafe she would get. And that's a very scary place to be as a parent of when you see your child going to harm themselves and you're trying to stop it, but the more you try to stop it, the more they're gonna harm themselves. It is so freaking scary. And so by the time you get to the emergency room, the parents look nuts. Right. Because we just experienced this horrific event that, you know, we're, we're looking crazy, but then the child's Jekyll and Hyde, like you said, calms as soon as you walk in the emergency room. And as soon as that child comes, they look great. And then the emergency room staff is going, well, this makes no sense. God, mom looks awfully crazy and child is completely calm, which when RAD Advocates comes in and we educate, we educate, isn't that a red flag? Don't you see that as a red flag? Because even if mom is crazy, the child's typically role model off of the parents regulation so you would think that the child would be looking crazy too if this was a neurotypical child but it's not this is a disordered child who is calm and oftentimes too they can be calm because they've created that chaos right and they feel safer when everybody else is crazy right right mm -hmm. yeah and again uh, and you're right, parents, they must be overreacting or they're too harsh or things like this. And yeah. um, so, so again, you just need to discipline them more. Or, and, and the other pieces, you know, when parents are going in, going, yeah, you know, for, for my child, you know, she's, she's wigging out because I asked her to brush her teeth and she's self-harming and all of this. And then to, to the first responders, they're thinking, well, control your child. Really? You can't handle your child throwing a fit because you asked her to brush her teeth? You know, it's so it's that it doesn't make sense to them. So it right. looks like a parenting issue. You know, a good parent would know how to handle their child if they're throwing a fit because you asked them to brush their teeth. They're missing that piece that the child's not regulated. And the more the nurturing family loving mother is trying to approach or father is trying to approach to do 
parent, simple per, per parenting task with this child that the child's going to escalate more. So yeah, it starts over a simple parenting task and then it escalates. Right. And I'm glad we talked about that just to see that whole cycle in mm-hmm. a way that I think people can understand it because you know, we can talk about all these little parts, but that example and scenario really brings it home. And it really brings it home in the sense of what parents and families are going through, because, you know, just listening to this and trying to put it all into a nice little package, you know, we have a (laughs) a family struggling at home. Uh, They get the help, try and get help for the child, but the child appears fine. So they don't have anywhere to get help for their child or there aren't therapists that are trained and therapy is a waste of time because there needs to be a completely different therapy. And then, you know, you get the child back home, they're acting out, these behaviors are real and they're still happening. And then, you know, you talk to the first responder, you get them to the hospital, the misunderstanding continues. And so I think it just paints a picture of what's happening to these poor parents and families and the children. Nobody's getting the help that they need. And so there needs to be support. And I, I'm grateful that you're out there. Absolutely. So thank you. you. Yeah. And so advocacy, and then you're working to, you're right. The education piece is huge because once you educate, yeah everybody about this, there's a better understanding. We can start making changes and then at the legislative level as well. So you're doing huge things. (laughs) Yes, we are. I'm very excited. I'm very excited about it. Yes. In terms of people accessing your services, how do they get in touch with you? The best way to get in touch with us is through our website, which is radadvocates.org. And on there, you will see a, I'm not sure if it says contact us. I'm sorry, I haven't really, I'm I'm not part of really the website team, (laughs) Um, but I believe there's like a contact us area. We have different packages. We have um, a yearly membership that people can sign up for. And then we have more of a custom package where that's where we would actually develop a strategy with, with each family member in the family and get everybody to a felt sense of safety. Um, and then we also just have a sign up for our emails just to know where we're, where we're headed with that educational piece as well as that legislative piece and, and just to keep people informed on our efforts of creating awareness. And lots of good resources people can access too by your resource page and reading your blogs and articles in there as well. Is there anything else you would like to share about RAD Advocates or to families? Let's see. The other thing that I would like to share is that we are going to be doing our first national conference. I know with COVID and stuff, it's a little crazy right now. And we had postponed it because it was supposed to be uh, fall of 2020. And we've postponed it to June of 2021. And so I'm really excited for our conference. This is going to be an opportunity for families to come and essentially we hope that every family walks away with a strategic plan for their family of how to to help. And so it's, again, it's going to be one um, conference of 
trying to create custom advocacy for everybody at our conference and, and where we're going to try to navigate families through what they're going through. Do you have a date for that yet or can people kind of keep track, follow you on your website? Yeah, follow us on our website, sign up for our emails and, and that date and more information will be announced soon for that. Perfect. Well, thank you. I don't know where you found the strength. And like you say, it's a God thing. But after everything that you've been through, any rad parent to create such a amazing organization to help other families. I'm glad you're out there. I know that you helped us and I would encourage anybody to get in touch, no matter how lost you feel, or if you're not sure if Rad Advocates is a good fit or not, just get in touch. Thank you so much. And I couldn't have done it alone. I've got a fabulous team behind me and lots of great parents that after we have supported them, come back and they say, how can we help? And that's really where change is going to occur is when all of us parents say enough is enough and, and we, you know, collaborate with each other and keep moving forward to create change. It's going to take an army of us parents. So it's, it's not just me alone. It's, it's a whole group of, of amazing parents and people that, that want to create change. Thanks for listening, everyone, and I hope you'll be back to listen to future episodes. If you like the show, please subscribe and help me spread the word by clicking share and like. If you're a parent who needs more support, whether it's for you or your family, please check out my website at radtalkwithtracy.com and visit radadvocates.org.